AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph. A young mom goes missing. She is absolutely gorgeous. The family begging for help along with the FBI and Virginia police. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us today. We need you now more than ever. Let me just start with the tip line. 1-800-LOCK-YOU-UP. 1-800-562-8887. This is urgent. We are on the search for a beautiful young mom, Bellamy Gamboa. Repeat, Bellamy Gamboa. FBI and Virginia police searching for the missing mom of four. You know, in older sister fashion, Bellamy Gamboa texts her younger sister, Sharice, to check in on her, her family, her dog. Bellamy in Virginia Beach, Virginia and Sharice in Orange County. 
That's California. The sisters live across the country from each other, but are always in touch. Are any of you like that? Because I am. I've got my brother and my sister in two different parts of the country. I'm on it every day, people, be in text or phone, so I know everybody's okay. It's not working that way for Bellamy Gamboa's sister. sister. Let's start at the top with me, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter Lee Egan, renowned New York psychologist Karen Stark, judge, lawyer, founder of ChildCrimeWatch.com Ashley Wilcott, last but not least, former cop turned PI Vincent Hill. Lee Egan, how is this unfolding? Just let's start at the beginning because right now we're getting a break in the case. Let's start, though, at the beginning with Bellamy Gamboa. How do, I, how do I know she's missing and she's not stretched out on Miami Beach getting a tan? Well, as you said, Nancy, the family talks daily. And on July 2nd, that did not happen. She was not answering her tech. She didn't show up for work. She didn't call. Nothing. They heard nothing at all. When that happened, the family became concerned and started searching for her. Hold on just a moment, because my brother calls me constantly. Karen Stark, I think you've met him. Um, I have. Actually, he doesn't call me constantly, but he does call and says, I called you. I called you. You didn't call me back. And he's right. He's always right. But I make a point to put my phone away. And, you know, for hours when I'm with the twins, I try not to even have it around them. And I learned the hard way, Karen, remember uh, when I had Coco the cat, when I would get on my then Blackberry, he would turn around and walk off. All right. So how do you think it affects children? I learned it from the cat. He would just leave. And so I try not to have it. And my brother's always right. He has called and I haven't seen it and I haven't called back. So he always gets me. You got me. So, how, Lee, you really got my attention, not because she wasn't returning texts, but when she didn't show up for work, okay? Because that's big. Jackie Howard, if you don't show up for work, I'm calling the police, and I'm reporting Alan Duke, okay, first of all. But back to you, Lee, what do you mean she didn't show up from work? Bellamy was the type of person who, even if she was a few minutes late, would call from the elevator to her boss and let her know, I'm almost there. She never missed work, never, ever. And her employer was so concerned when he didn't hear from her that he actually sent police to her apartment to check on her. So it it was a big red flag that she didn't show up to work. You know what they call that? Ashley Wilcott, uh, judge, lawyer, founder of ChildCrimeWatch.com. They call that evidence of routine. And... I, I saw it uh, really come to the forefront front in the case of Adnan Syed. You remember him? He was the uh-huh. the, the, the focus of pod of serial the podcast. P.S. He did it, by the way. But that's a whole other can of worms. Can of worms, uh, because Adnan Syed had a rigid routine. He went to school. He got out of school. He uh, had track practice. And he did this, 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 and then he went to um, services at his uh, with his dad, and e- every night. And for him to break out of that routine, the one day his girlfriend is killed, that's very unusual. So here, that's what we have: evidence of routine. And that, that's right. Pardon the pun. Routinely comes into court. Explain why it's so important, Ashley. 
It's so important because that is evidence during the investigation to prove that something either happened to someone and that's why they broke routine or that they never had a routine and they're kind of out there doing their thing. So it's really imperative because what that indicates in this case is most likely something happened to her because she was not one to break her routine. Vincent Hill, Private Eye. Explain to me, your former cop, Nashville PD, why is it cops always say, and no offense, I'm on your side, okay? Uh, unless you track somebody down and beat them in the head or shoot them, all right? But typically, I'm on the side of the cops. Vincent, why do cops always say, oh, she's just out with her boyfriend, she'll show up? Why do they do that? Well, Nancy, because there's nothing illegal about being a missing adult because you're an adult. You don't have to be responsible or answer to anyone. So there's nothing illegal or i.e. suspicious about being a missing adult. Unfortunately, that's always the default that police go to, but that's the law. Okay, all right. You, you're right. You got me over the barrel on that one. So Karen Stark, when she misses her work, that, in my mind, starts the timeline. I'm going to backtrack in a minute, but that's the first time we know for sure something is amiss. Well, she's changing her routine, and on top of that, that is the beginning, Nancy, but she is not in touch with her teenage twins, and she usually is. And mm-hmm. that that is even more telling to me because, you know, you're a mom and the twins are everything to you. She would never miss talking to them before they had a game, and all of a sudden she's gone. She's you know not what? in touch with you're them. You're right, Karen. That speaks more than even missing work that morning. Lee Egan, she's right with me, Lee Egan, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter. Right now we've got breaking news in the case of missing Bellamy. We have not found Bellamy, though, though, Bellamy Gamboa. Lee, so what do we know? We know she wasn't at work that Monday morning. What else do we know as to her the last credible sighting? Credible, in other words, I can corroborate it. The last credible sighting was from her I guess he'd be a former boyfriend. He did see her, but it's unclear when he saw her. His timeline kept changing. Well, then that's not credible. So that's not really helping me. i got to go with something credible. We know on uh, Friday, June 29, she was checking in with her little sister in California. We know that. There are screenshots out there of the conversation. We know she was there. Then this mother of four very tight family bond. Two days later, on Sunday, Cherie says the sisters communicated again on Instagram by liking each other's photos. Now, uh, Ashley Wilcott, we often hear people getting your cell phone and pretending they're you. I don't really think that would extend to liking your sister's photos. No, absolutely. That makes no sense at all. It just, uh, who would do that? Why would they do that? You have to look at everything we know up until this point. And the fact that she's disappeared, nobody's heard from her. She didn't go to work. She broke routine. All of these things are amiss. I cannot believe that someone would take the phone and like the photo. Yeah, that's not, uh, usually if you're trying to fake being somebody on their phone, you'll send a text message or something overt like that. Now, so that gives me, Lee, her alive, I think, on Sunday. That would be, let's see, 30 days has September, April, June, and November. So now I'm at July 1, July 1. I think I am on a Sunday. Monday morning, July 2, 
she doesn't show up. That starts my timeline right there. I think she was alive on Sunday night. She's not at work on Sunday morning. So Sunday, I wonder what time that was on Sunday. But we know she was alive, I think, on Sunday night. Lee Egan, what's the next thing that happens? Her she her boss says she's not there on Monday. The family starts saying, hey, where is she? What about her vehicle? Did she drive to work, Lee? Supposedly she drove to work. But the biggest thing that happened after she didn't show up for work with her teens, she's a team mom on the Suns baseball team. And she, anytime a game would start, she would text all the teammates and do like a like an encouraging tweet, say, you know, go team, and, you know, just get them ready for the game. That never happened. And then that's when the family went into a panic because that is something that she absolutely would Always never did. miss. Now, hold on. Let me get this straight. What day was the game? That was on July 2nd. That's Monday? Monday evening, yes. Okay. So... That's even that's very strong evidence because she's breaking routine again about her car. What do we know about her vehicle? We think she drives to work, but isn't it true? Her car was found abandoned to Lee Egan. What, if anything, can you tell me about her car? Okay, so her 2015 Gold Ford Focus was found abandoned. They found it on July 3rd. We're still not sure who took the car there, but it was parked in front of a dumpster, and the maintenance people couldn't get to the trash, so they called in and had it towed. And then police picked Actually, they found it on July 2nd, and then the police found it in tow, in impound, on July 3rd. Wow. So that gives me July 2nd again. July 2nd is that Monday. We're back starting the timeline July 2nd. Her car was there blocking the dumpster. The trash people couldn't get it. And that's how it ends up in impound. Then she's reported missing. And that's when cops get a hold of it. It was found parked next to a dumpster about four miles from where she was last seen. Now, this is what we know. We know that a friend of hers, Tiffany Hazley, says that the location where her car was found is very unusual because it's not anywhere Bellamy would visit. All right? So it's not like she dropped it there and went for a hike or a jog. Somebody took it there. And that, Vincent Hill, private eye, former cop, is very important because they got to process this car and find fingerprints, hopefully, DNA, something. What about it, Vincent? Finding a car by a dumpster, what does that tell you? Yeah, that's very troubling, Nancy. Not only do they have to process the car, but if I was investigating that scene, I'd process that dumpster because usually people don't park their car next to a dumpster because it's trashy, it's dirty, people walk by it. So there could be something in that dumpster that may lead to the discovery of this young mother. There is a financial reward for tips, information leading to Bellamy's whereabouts. At this hour, we're still looking for Bellamy, but also breaking news right now. Someone has been taken into custody. We know that. We still don't know where Bellamy is. Lee Egan, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter. The breaking news, what is it? Bellamy's 42-year-old former boyfriend, Lamont Johnson, has been arrested for second-degree murder 
and four counts of contributing to the delinquency or abuse of a child. Oh, no. Ashley. Ashley Wilcott. We don't have a body. We don't know where she is. She's still missing. But that abuse of a minor charge, what does that tell you? Well, obviously bad news is what it tells me. And we don't know who the victims are of that um, child abuse. But all around bad, bad, bad. Because not only are we missing a mother, now we know there's some children who he's abused allegedly and is being charged with. You know that... uh... Johnson, this guy, is the father of Gamboa's twin infants. And uh, she had been saying just before her disappearance that she was living in fear. The tip line, 800-LOCK-YOU-UP, 800-562-5887. Please help us find Bellamy Gamboa. It is so hard to work cold cases, especially when you know your colleagues have already picked the case clean. But there's a former prosecutor named Kelly Siegler, who's a true champion for justice on a mission across America. What I love about Oxygen's cold justice is that Kelly and her team of detectives take on real unsolved murder cases and get real answers for victims and their families. You'll love how immersive the show is. You feel like you're right there, riding shotgun with the team. They're passionate crusaders for justice, and that's what makes each case so personal to the team. Watch the new season of Cold Justice, Saturday at 6, 5 Central on Oxygen. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph. A beautiful baby girl goes missing. What happened to baby Lisa? The disappearance of baby Lisa Renee Irwin has mystified the public ever since she goes missing on the early morning hours of October 4. Her mom and dad still confounded about what happened to baby Lisa. She had been in her bed when mom checked on her at 6.40 p.m. on Monday night. But when dad, Jeremy, gets home from work from the night shift on Tuesday, he discovers the front door unlocked, cell phones missing, along with baby Lisa. Mommy says she heard nothing. With me, Missy Rasmussen, writer and co-author of upcoming books, She's Not Here, The Strange Disappearance of Lisa Irwin. Jacqueline Heller, private investigator and co-author of that book, She's Not Here, The Strange Disappearance of Lisa Irwin. Dr. Chloe Carmichael, New York psychologist and founder of TransformationProducts.com. Ashley Wilcott, juvenile judge, lawyer, and founder of ChildCrimeWatch.com, along with former cop-turned-PI Vincent Hill. To Jacqueline Heller, Jacqueline, I want to dissect what happened the night baby Lisa goes missing. Now, earlier in the day, mom was spotted grocery shopping. What can you tell me about that? Um, She was spotted in the store with her brother, She purchased the box of wine that her and the neighbor had consumed. She had also purchased some diapers. Um, Deborah and her brother went home. Uh, Jeremy went to work. The brother left. 
um, Samantha, which is the neighbor, and Deb were on the porch. Another neighbor came down the street, hung out with them. Um, the witness stated that he didn't see any of the kids, and then he left. The girls, you know, Deb went inside. Turned, uh, the neighbor saw her turn the lights off, and Deb went to bed. Okay, let me understand this scenario. With me, Jacqueline Heller and Missy Rasmussen. Missy, that day, the mom is caught on surveillance video at a grocery store. She's with her own brother, and they're shopping. Do they have the children with them, Missy? No, they are uh, just the two of them. The children are at home with Jeremy. Okay. So nothing odd there. They pick up items, including, I think it was a box of wine. They come home. Mm -hmm. Jeremy, at some point, leaves for his night job. He says the children are all fine at that point, baby Lisa specifically. He leaves, and the wife, Deb, and Samantha... And another neighbor then go and sit on the front porch and consume wine. Do we know, Missy, how long they were out there drinking? A while. Um, it was approximately 630, 640 um, when she, uh, you know, put Lisa in her crib. And the other children are sitting in the living room watching a movie. Um, the neighbor had a child as well who was over there. And they essentially at that time went outside and, and started, you know, drinking and talking. What I'm trying to get at, Missy, is that, of course, but how long were they there and did not see or hear baby Lisa? Um, it was about 1030. So a good four hours, about 1030 that um, uh, Deb called it a night. Um, Sam goes back to her house and witnesses uh, the lights going off at Deb's house. Um, Sam continued to stay, uh, stay outside um, for a little while longer with the other neighbor. So uh, essentially, in, in, you know, in my opinion, at that time, there were still eyes on that house. But the baby had not been seen or heard from for four hours, 630 to 1030? Not from any reports that I have seen or read. Ashley Wilcott, uh, juvenile judge, lawyer, and founder of ChildCrimeWatch.com. Four hours of sitting on the front porch drinking. Um, not judging, don't care. What I care about is baby Lisa. Now, later, the mom said she checked the baby at 1030 when she went in and cut the lights off. That story has changed. So I'm trying to establish a timeline here. At From 6.30 on, if she did not check the baby, the baby was unattended, which means anyone could have come in the house while mommy's on the front porch with the box of wine and taken the baby. I, I don't know if that's far-fetched or not, but it's possible, Ashley. It is possible. You've put all the chronologically together, and it, it it is possible, and it scares the heck out of me, right? Like, this is anybody's worst nightmare. Your 10-month-old disappears in the middle of the night, but you've got 6.30 p.m. until 4 a.m., which is a long window to narrow down when it may have happened. Deborah, the mom, says she last saw her daughter at either 6.40 or 10.30. The account's differ 
Missy Rasmussen and Jacqueline Heller here. They have studied the case very carefully. Jacqueline Heller, I know exactly, exactly the last time I saw the twins. Oh, exactly. I, I know the, the, the last time I saw my own children. Exactly. Now, let me understand something. Missy has told me that her, Deb, story has changed regarding when she saw Lisa. Right. Tell me about that change of story. I think she might have got it confused, you know, being a little bit buzzed. She could have walked by, stood in the doorway. What I think is important is not only the fact that she changed her story, but the fact that she did pass that lie detector test. That's very important. She did pass a lie detector test, and those things are hard to beat. Yes, they are. got a question for you. Was the baby in the same room as the other children or no? That's something that we don't know for sure. Well, doesn't the mom know what room the baby was sleeping in? Well, apparently, baby Lisa was sick that night, and the mom had stated that she laid her in her crib, and then later on, um, Lisa was standing up. Deborah went back in and tucked her in and went back outside. But in the room where she tucked her in, was she in the room with the other children? Did they sleep in the same room together? No, Lisa has her own room. So baby Lisa was in her room and the other children were in a separate room. In the living room, yeah. This is what we know. That evening, um, the mother, Deborah was also caring for Lisa's two older half-brothers. They were asleep in another room. She admits she had been drinking wine that night. That is not a felony. She admits that she had too much to drink and was drunk. She also says she had taken a prescription medication for anxiety. So you got to take all that into account when her stories get confused, okay? When she says she saw her at either 6.30 or 10.30, it's going to be hard for her to remember under those conditions what she saw. We know she is, though, there are witnesses with her on the front porch, Vincent Hill, private investigator, and I find it hard to believe that this mom could have harmed a baby and then gone and sat out and had a box of wine with her neighbors. That's a little hard to believe. I mean, could she have done that? Yes, she could have. But I think having had a lot of wine and the medication, it would have been really hard for her to fake off having killed her baby. Yeah. I think that would have been very difficult for her to yeah, do. It would have been hard to pull off, Nancy. And, and even let's back up earlier in that afternoon. I mean, she was out buying diapers for the baby. So that shows she was caring for the baby at some point. So we can't hold the fact that she was out drinking wine against her. Anything could have happened within those four hours that led to Lisa's disappearance. We are talking about the disappearance of a beautiful baby girl, Lisa Irwin. Now, it's my understanding, back to Jacqueline Heller, PI and author, the dad, Jeremy Irwin, is an electrician. He comes home from work around 4 a.m. the next morning. He is the one that discovers Lisa is gone. Is that right, Jacqueline? Yes. And what else does he find in the home? Um, apparently, Deb had also taken in a stray kitten that night as well. And the kitten was in the bed with her her son. The other little boy had gotten up and went to his room sometime during the night. So we don't know if he had gotten up and went to his bed before Lisa was taken or after she had already disappeared. Joining me right now, the founder of Class Kids Foundation, the survivor of crime, his daughter, 
beautiful Polly was taken from their home. Mark Class is joining me. Mark, you know, there's been so much controversy surrounding the disappearance of Lisa Irwin. You know the facts. Mommy on the front porch with neighbors for several hours having a box of wine, also on anti-anxiety medication. The dad had gone to work and an overnight shift as an electrician. That has been verified. What happened? Way in, Mark Class. Well, Nancy, I've been revisiting this case, as, as have many people recently, and I continue to see the mother just in tears. I mean, she's obviously in, in horrible shape. She feels terrible about what happened. And I have to believe from watching her that she had nothing to do with this disappearance, that against all odds, somehow somebody came into this house and took little baby Lisa, and she hasn't been seen since. But I really don't believe it's the parents at all. But I do believe the parents made so many critical errors as far as the moving timelines, as far as the people they brought in to help them, as far as their behavior during the entire investigation, that the investigation derailed. And it became about something else entirely. When you say the investigation derailed, what do you mean by that, Mark Class? Well, listen, they brought in a a high-priced defense attorney from New York City, for goodness sake, and also a a high-profile private investigator from New York City, both individuals who had absolutely no experience with missing child cases. And under the direction of the lawyer, Joe Tacopino, their children were not allowed to be interviewed by law enforcement. For goodness sake, these were boys that were in the house when the crime occurred. And for whatever reason, the lawyer is, is, is throwing shade at law enforcement by not letting them be part of the interview. So it really became almost about what's going on with these people and, and why are they being so, uh, why are they being so, so, so uncooperative mysterious. And uncooperative in the way this is being investigated. Well, you know, you got two people, ordinary people like all of us, and a high-priced lawyer comes in from New York City and says, listen, stop talking to the cops. They're looking at you. Well, of course they're looking at the mother and father, Mark Class, because that's where you always start looking. But, Mark, just pretend you're not here for a moment. To Ashley Wilcott, ChildCrimeWatch.com, I always hold up Mark Class as the gold standard. When Polly went missing, he says, search my place, search my office, search my car. He practically laid on the courthouse steps demanding that cops do whatever they wished with him so they could look for Polly and rule him out. He did not hire a lawyer and refused to speak to cops. On the other hand, Ash, these people... I mean, when you have a high-priced lawyer saying, stop talking to cops right now, they're going to do it. Of course they are. It looked horrible at the time, Ashley. It does look horrible. I agree with you. And I, you never know what you're going to do unless, God forbid, you're in this horrific, tragic situation. But I agree with you. You are not going to lawyer up and not talk and not share information. Instead, what you're going to do is say, come in, do everything you can. I've got to find my child. I've got to find my child. And why would a lawyer say don't talk to the police? That's my other piece. I mean, it just doesn't add up it bothers me to mark class mark when polly first went missing 
um, you went through pure hell. And you, you you stayed in hell for years and years and years. But at the time, what did police, how did police treat you when Polly went missing? Well, they were pretty upfront with me, Nancy. They were very good. They told me that I would be a person of suspicion until I was able to eliminate myself and that the best way to do that was to talk to law enforcement and, and answer all of their questions, which I was more than happy to do. Another thing they did, which I think was really beneficial, is they gave me my own um, liaison with law enforcement. It was a, it was, there were actually two of them. There was Mike Meese, the great detective who has since passed, and Eddie Fryer, uh, the local FBI agent, who was available to me at all times and was very upfront with me, um, answered all of my questions, told me when he thought I would be interfering in the investigation. And by that, I mean bringing him endless tips from, from psychics. Um, as far as what that lawyer did to baby Lisa's parents by telling them not to cooperate with the police, he had a whole different focus. Their focus should have been bringing baby Lisa home. The lawyer's focus is protecting baby Lisa's parents. So you're at absolute odds there as to what exactly you're going to accomplish through this investigation. And unfortunately, because he was high profile, because somebody else was paying for him, because he was surrounded by reporters, I guess the parents listened to him and decided to follow his advice as opposed to their own gut feeling. Well, you make an excellent point. However, when Deb took her lie detector test, the police department knew that she had passed and instead of you know moving on to the next lead and and you know clearing the parents of their involvement they lied and they hounded and they harassed the crimes against children division who was who was handling lisa's case in 2016 several of them were suspended or fired due to their inability to work cases. Jacqueline Heller, private investigator and author of the upcoming book about Lisa Irwin, pointing out, you know, the inner workings of police at this time. Vincent Hill, private investigator, former cop. Now, we were talking earlier, Jacqueline, Missy and I, about the mom having had a box of wine on anti-anxiety meds on the front porch with witnesses placing her there for several hours the capability she may or may not have had to to form a lie about baby lisa i find it hard to believe that a mom could have a box of wine and on meds and keep up a lie for hours on end with neighbors knowing that her baby is dead inside I find that hard to believe, Vincent. Agree or disagree? No, I, I agree 100%, Nancy. I mean, it, it just would have been hard to pull that off. And I understand why investigators initially looked at the parents because they're, or at least the mother, they're closest to the scene. They s said, oh, you've been out drinking. How do we know you were drinking? There's this time discrepancy. But after she was cleared via the lie detector test, the biggest gap here was that investigators didn't move on. They continued to look at the mother. Well, you can't rely on a lie detector alone. Um, there's a reason they're not allowed in court. And I agree with the cops on this. I don't think that they should have dropped it looking at the parents just because she passed a lie detector test. However... If her story is corroborated and there's no evidence to support she harmed the baby, I, I certainly don't think the mom should have been harassed. Hold on. Dr. Chloe Carmichael, New York psychologist, wants in. Weigh in, Dr. Chloe. Well, Nancy, I actually differ with you on the idea regarding alcohol and medication. 
Um, I, I think that if a person is drinking and using drugs, a lot of times that's actually uh, part of what we call dissociative behavior, which means that they're actually trying to dull their nerves or dull their awareness or maybe act in a little bit of a dazed manner, kind of take the edge off a little bit. Um, also, as far as being seen purchasing diapers, I mean, you know, just to kind of be the devil's advocate here, you could also deliberately be seen purchasing diapers in order to, you know, demonstrate a future-oriented mindset regarding your child. So I wouldn't really read too much into those particular events. Well, you know, ho hold on just a moment. Let's talk about the, the hard evidence that we have. Is it true to Jacqueline Heller that a cadaver dog reportedly smelled or hit on an unusual scent, a cadaver dog, in the parents' bedroom, and were there burnt baby clothes found in a neighborhood dumpster? Um, yes, the dumpster fire, there was baby clothes. The Irwins um, and, you know, were questioned about the baby clothes. They stated they were not Lisa's. Um, for the cadaver dog hit, Missy, go ahead and tell her about well, the cadaver um, dog. Yes, I mean, there was a cadaver dog hit in the bedroom. As far as we know, there has been no follow-up. Well, wait a minute. For a cadaver dog to hit, that's a really big deal. For a cadaver dog that hits only on dead human remains, that's a really big deal for a cadaver dog to hit in the parents' bedroom. No, I agree with you. <laughs> so I think we need to rethink your claim police, quote, harassed the parents after a cadaver dog hits in their house. I guess they did keep up the investigation. Well, we don't know if, that, if know someone that. passed away in the house before they moved in. You know, there could have been another resident who lived in the house, because I do believe that it was a rental, and, you know, they could have hit on, on, a, on something that, somebody that had previously lived there and passed away. Do you have any evidence at all to support that theory? Anything? Well, we've been trying to make contact with the parents. They haven't, you know, we want to bring our own cadaver dog team. I do have a team that is ready to go. Now, my question is, do you have any evidence to support your theory that you just espoused that maybe in the past somebody else rented the home and died in that room? Well, that's something that I want to talk to the parents about. I don't have it yet. Oh, okay. To Mark Class, founder of Class Kids Foundation, what do you make of it, Mark? Well, we already know that, that the local law enforcement agency was incompetent. I believe one of your guests just said that many of them were just uh, released from, from that particular squad. I always believe and I always say that when you have these kinds of situations, when children have been kidnapped, particularly out of their home, for goodness sake, you need to bring the FBI in and you need to bring the FBI in because they do have the expertise. They do have the resources. They work these kinds of cases on a regular basis and they know exactly what they're doing. And I don't think oversights like this would have occurred had they been more active or even active in the investigation and then i guess one wants to know if if they if other dogs were brought in to corroborate what the first dog hit on well we've got a whole nother can of worms to open mark class and that is the sighting of a man in the neighborhood with a baby that very night and if that sighting is true then the mom the dad are exonerated what do we know, if anything, about 
that guy, Missy Rasmussen. What do we know about the sighting of an unrelated male in the neighborhood that evening carrying a baby? Um, well, there are actually two sightings of a man carrying a baby. Um, uh, the first one was at approximately um, 1215 uh, Tuesday morning. Um, there was a couple who lived um, in the neighborhood. The man was leaving for work. He noticed a man walking down the street holding a baby. Um, he told his wife. His wife continued. Uh, to, to, they thought it was odd. She continued to watch from the window. Um, and later, at approximately um, 4 o'clock in the morning, a man riding a motorcycle noticed a man with a baby. The description of the man with the baby is the same for both of these uh, witnesses. Um, so he's seen, and the man on the motorcycle remembered it distinctly because he thought it was chilly. The baby wasn't wearing anything but a diaper. And he remembered thinking, I, I could offer them a ride if I weren't on my motorcycle. And so those were the two sightings um, four hours apart from each other. So if they're the same man, I don't know. If it's the same baby, I don't know. But I mean, the likelihood to Ashley Wilcott of there being two different men in the neighborhood fitting the same general description, carrying the same baby, I mean, it's it's astronomically unlikely it is and i would be on that so fast because it, it is unlikely and that could have been their baby it's it, it's a little um boggling to me why there wasn't a real urgency around all of these different pieces by the family by the parents well the parents aren't investigators <laughs> it's not about the parents it's about law enforcement and their ability to get to the bottom of what happened here 10-month-old baby Lisa last seen in her crib, according to her mother. Then she simply vanished. Even to this day, Lisa's parents still insist they believe their daughter is alive. Now, police originally zero in on the mom, Deborah Bradley, as a possible suspect. But the parents now say they hold no grudges against the police. Why do they focus on her? The, the dad, Jeremy, at work as an electrician on an overnight shift. The mom drinking on the front porch with neighbors the night baby Lisa goes mincing. She eventually tells cops she didn't remember if she checked on the baby when she went to bed around 1040. That starts our timeline when the baby was last seen by her at 6.40 p.m. Reminder, she has passed a lie detector test. Now, let me understand to Jacqueline Haller. Did anyone else see the baby at 6.40 p.m. other than the mother? Not that I'm aware of, no. Mm -hmm. the, boys pub uh, the boys' statements, whatever they might have told police, they have not been made public. So if the boys have said that they've seen her, that information has not been released. The moment Jeremy Irwin gets home at 4 a.m., he says he finds the front door unlocked and Lisa missing from her crib. He immediately calls 911. Now, here's another fact. To private investigator, former cop Vincent Hill, the family reports three 
of their cell phones were also missing from the home. Nothing else was taken. What does that mean? Well, Nancy, it could mean that whoever did this didn't want the family to have any outside communication, at least for a while, until they got out of the area. You know, it's unclear why those were taken, but we can only speculate that that could have been one of the reasons. Now, this is what we know about the missing cell phones. They were pinged close to the Irwin home, and they were accessed throughout the night Lisa went missing. What does that really mean? They were accessed throughout the night that Lisa went missing to Missy Rasmussen. What does that mean? They were pinged throughout the night? They were um, pinged that night. Um, And after that night, there was no more, you know, uh, you know, contact with those phones. Um, and there were numerous attempts through the evening um, to access uh, the voicemail, to access the Internet, and to make uh, phone calls. Okay, hold on. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So somebody during the night, and this is the night that the mom says she's asleep, the dad's at work, someone was accessing the voicemail or trying to access the voicemail? Attempting to. Attempting to, yes. The phones were disconnected. Did they get in? No. They were on a suspended service. Jacqueline Heller, weigh in. The phones were, they attempted to, but there was like a restriction due to non-payment where the phones could receive a phone call, but they could not call out. Okay, so somebody was trying to get into the voicemail of the phones. So are you telling me you could call the phone itself and leave a message or you could you could not use the f- you could call the phone and the person could answer, but the person could not make an outgoing call on the phone due to being suspended for non-payment. So let me understand this: you're saying somebody tried to get into the voicemail and could not, or they did get into the voicemail? They did not. They attempted, and it was they did not were not able to get through to it. See, that's confusing to me, Mark Glass, yeah. because why yeah. would anybody else want to listen to the mom's voicemail? Well, it's confusing to me as well. I think one thing it tells us, though, is that this is not an international conspiracy and this is not a criminal mastermind, that whatever happened to little baby Lisa originated in and around that community itself, that it may have been a crime of, well, it wasn't a crime of opportunity, but it, it, uh, it may have been planned out to some level but we're not talking about rocket scientists here, and there should have been enough information to be able to move this um, investigation forward more quickly than it has. I'm trying to figure out what they mean by the the cell phones were pinged throughout the night around the Irwin home. What does that mean, Jacqueline Heller? Well, the phones were pinged um, less than a mile and a half away from the Irwin's home. So we know when the phones were taken, they weren't taken very far because they were pinged 1.1 miles away from the Irwin's house. Wow, that is very precise. Uh, We also know police issue an Amber Alert very quickly, releasing pictures of Lisa, her big blue eyes staring at the camera. Cops combed fields near the home. They drained wells. They even searched neighbors' homes looking for Lisa. The media immediately became involved and information was coming out daily the pinging information the cadaver dog now one tip 
provoked a lot of interest and regarded a handyman named Jersey Joe. He had a criminal record. He worked in the neighborhood. To Jacqueline Heller, what did we learn about John Jersey Joe Tanko? He was a handyman. He worked odd jobs for cash in the neighborhood. He was staying at a house around the corner from the Irwins. He was tending to um, that homeowner's lawn. Um, in 2009, he had a Class C felony burglary for which he was incarcerated for three years. And in 2011, he was um, incarcerated for five years for tampering with a motor, motor vehicle registration. Like, I think like changing the, the plates or something like that. But he, he was cleared as a suspect. He was cleared, I think, because he did not match the description of the guy seen carrying the baby. We also know Jeremy, the father, says he finds a pushed-in window screen at the front of the home. To Vincent Hill, private investigator, that is significant to me. The door is unlocked. The window screen at the front of the home is pushed in. Mommy passes a lie detector test. We've got to start our timeline at 640. She doesn't know whether she checked on the baby before she went to bed or not. So the timeline must start at 640 when she is visibly on the front porch and the husband is gone and the baby is alone in the home. I personally think since the mom has been apparently cleared that Baby Lisa's kidnap happened after the mom went to sleep, Vincent. But I want to go back to that pushed-in screen. What about it, Vincent? Yeah, it's highly suspicious, Nancy. But I would actually say the timeline needs to go back even a little bit before 640, just so you can capture anything. Because what I would do as an investigator, talk to neighbors. Did you see anyone around the home at that time? Even the neighbor she was on the porch drinking with. Hey, did you see anything suspicious you know, in the six o'clock time frame, six thirty, six forty. So you got to take that time frame a little further back so you can get the whole picture. We are looking back over the evidence, and we are learning about a police affidavit that explains why investigators removed carpet from the home, brought in equipment to X-ray the walls and the floors spent hours digging in the home's backyard and restricted news helicopters from videotaping overhead. Court affidavits point to a search that took place two days before a 16-hour search. During that search, investigators find a garden area with portions of dirt having an appearance of recently being disturbed or overturned. This after an FBI cadaver dog was brought into the home with the family's consent and hit on the scent of a dead human in an area of the Bradley's bedroom floor near the bed. Items were taken from the home, including a comforter, purple shorts, a glowworm toy, a blanket, uh, from the Cars movie, rolls of tape, a Disney t-shirt, a tape dispenser. We know that all of that happened, contrary to what we've been told about uh, a shoddy investigation. This is what the affidavits show, Mark Class. One of the things that really complicates this, Nancy, is the fact that when children are kidnapped from their homes, they're almost always middle they're all always middle school aged girls and they're taken for 
reasons of sexual perversion. The idea that somebody's going to take a little one-year-old baby and everything that goes around that, a, a child that totally needs 24-7 care is, is, is rather hard to fathom unless the baby was being taken um, to give to somebody who felt they needed a baby or perhaps a person that took it felt that. But nothing adds up, you know? Nothing adds up in this investigation. Well, I can't get away from uh, completely unrelated witnesses observing a man carrying a baby that day in the neighborhood, and that baby has never been able to be tracked. I can't ignore that. I also cannot ignore a cadaver dog hitting in the home. So uh, those are two very different scenarios. But again, you know, what What do you, what emphasis do you place, Ashley Wilcott, on the fact mom did pass that lie detector? I do believe in lie detector tests, so that's great that she passed it. But it, you know, it also boils down to what exactly did they ask in that test? Were there questions that were unasked, or does she know pieces of information they neglected to ask about? I think you have to look at the details of that. The other thing is, I'm going to agree with Mark absolutely. Somebody knows what happened. Somebody knows the situation, and often on cold cases, eventually someone says something. It's how we find out what really happens to these kids. I think that could happen in this case. We don't know what all she was asked on that lie detector test. Well, we also know to Dr. Chloe Carmichael, New York psychologist, that the parents, the mother and the father, both signed consent forms to allow searches of their home, their shed, their cars, their work van, their computer, their camper, that they gave police access to their property. You know, very often families don't do that. They don't let people search their property or their homes, and that immediately makes me suspicious. In this case, they did allow police to do all of that. Well, that's true. I mean, there's. I think that's partly what's so confusing about the situation is because there there do seem to be maybe some mixed signals um, on the part of the parents. But like you said, Nancy, it would be a total red flag. It would make anybody completely suspicious if the parents refused to allow that search. So I would consider that, as you're saying, really kind of just a basic uh, display of cooperation. That's really about all I would read into that personally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about it, Mark Class? Well, no, I think she's exactly right. And uh, they made so many mistakes in the way that they dealt with this, both publicly in the media and with law enforcement, that suspicion is going to just continue to fall back on them. Although I think at this point in time, it's pretty clear that they are not responsible for the disappearance of their own child. And I also want to point out that uh, some of the, as you call them, mistakes were at the advice of a lawyer, a lawyer telling them, hey, they're looking at you. They think you harmed the baby. You better clam up unless you want to go to jail for life. You're going to get framed on this. I mean, when you come up on two ordinary working class people like all of us and you got a high priced lawyer telling you to be quiet, you do it, right? I mean, am I missing something in that scenario to Ashley Wilcott? No, I don't think you are at all. The search for baby Lisa goes on. Mark Class, uh, founder of Class Kids, Way in, where do you think the investigation stands now? Well, it's an open investigation, and hopefully it hasn't gone totally cold. I agree with the parents that baby Lisa could still very much be alive. The idea that somebody would take a little one-year-old girl simply to murder her 
is is very very difficult to fathom on any level and we have to remember um we have to remember elizabeth smart we have to remember jc dugard we have to remember mitzi sanchez those girls that were taken and after an extended period of time were found and were brought back home hopefully the new age progression picture that was just put out is going to jar somebody's memory and help us bring this case to the resolution that everybody hopes, which is a reunification of little baby Lisa with her family. That is the prayer of all of us. Take a listen to baby Lisa's parents just in the news. I just picture holding her and um, getting to know her, um, letting her get to know us and um, catching up and... um, bringing our family back together. She's got to be out in public at some point. Uh, Somebody's going to see something that doesn't quite add up, and I hope that that's, you know, what makes them make the phone call and uh, brings Lisa home. There is still a $100,000 reward for information leading to the recovery of baby Lisa. Tip line 816-474-TIPS, T-I-P-S, repeat. 816-474-8477. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere anytime which means zen pairs well with you your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.